Here we go. John 14, verse 1, it says this. I love, I love how this verse starts. Jesus says this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. How many people know there's a lot of things in life that can trouble your heart? And Jesus says, hey, 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 anchor your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, said Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. I picked this translation on purpose because some dumb translation says, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. Hear me. I ain't going through all this hell on earth for so no room. I like the one that says mansion. <laughs> in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Then Thomas said to him, y'all, Thomas is one of my favorite disciples. I, I, don't, I don't bang to all the disciples. Like some of them, Bartholomew, you can miss me, man. I got time for that. Thomas was the disciple. He's like me. Anybody in this room, if you're thinking it, you're going to say it. You, you're type person. You're going you're gonna to hear what I got to say. I'm talk, I say stuff I don't even think through. I think about it after I say it. It's just, Thomas was that guy. Thomas, he was just going to run his mouth. And here's Jesus saying, where I go, you will know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. That little cute little speech, but I got no clue where you're going. And how can we know the way? Everybody else is crying. Oh, Jesus, this is so sweet. Thomas like, no, what are we doing? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. In other words, Jesus said, if you know me, you know the way because I am the way. I have a message for you today entitled, I'm retired from panic. I'm retired from panic. Before I even preach it, anybody want to put your two-week notice in on drama? Anybody willing to retire from some panic? I'm done with the foolishness. I'm done with the chaos. I'm done with the drama. I want no part of it. I'm retired from panic. Father God, we're grateful. We say you are more than able. And God, we're setting an atmosphere of faith for you to do what only you can do. Have your way. Speak, heal, deliver, give visions, transform in a way that only you can. And God, we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen and amen and amen. It doesn't take much living, doesn't take many conversations, it doesn't take many encounters for you to realize that everybody does not see the world the same way. Different people have different perspectives. They have different outlooks. You, you can talk to siblings that you grew up in the same household with and realize we grew up in the same house and we still don't agree on some major stuff. You may have friends or, or coworkers or neighbors and you just have a way of seeing the world differently. It's actually a good thing. 
How boring would it be if everybody had the same opinion, everybody saw the same thing, everybody had the same perspective? But discover not only do people have different perspectives, but they have different lengths or depths of vision for their life. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. For example, some people can only see 24 hours down the road. Some people, if you ask them, what's your goal? What's your plans? What's your aspiration? Where are you going? Their response is, my goal is to survive today. If I could just get through today in my right mind, if I could still have a smile this time tomorrow, we'll figure out tomorrow. Some people can only see 24 hours down the road. Some people, I can see a little bit farther than tomorrow. I can see until Friday. I can't wait to get through this dumb week. Just wait, because the weekend is coming Friday. And by the way, it ain't Friday at 5, because my boss got a meeting at 4.15. So as soon as they go to their meeting, I'm out. 4.17, I'm in the parking lot. The weekend has begun. I'm living my life. (laughs) Some people can only see until Friday. Some of us are a little bit more mature. We can see to the end of the month. Some people, however, aren't looking to Friday or the end of the month. They've got goals, visions, aspirations for the end of the year. I'm looking at December 31st. By the end of this year, I want to have this much saved. My health, I want to be in this place. I want to impact this many people. They've got yearly goals. And then there's a small minority of us where we're not thinking about the end of the year. We're thinking 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. And they're having conversations about the type of legacy that they want to leave, who who they want to be known for, the impact that they want to leave on their children's children's children. They've got vision for down the road. Hear me. One of the enemy's plans is to keep you panicked in today's drama. Because if I can get you overwhelmed with the pressures, with the needs, with the issues for today, I can keep you from seeing down the road. John chapter 14, Jesus looking at his disciples said these words. He said, let your heart not be troubled. It's so vital when you read the Bible that you understand the context in which a verse is written because the context adds a meaning that just reading the verse will not give you. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is Jesus, I mean, just dropping wisdom on a level that you can't even comprehend. John 14, let your heart not be troubled. John 15, I no longer call you servants, but I now call you friend because a friend knows their master's word. Jesus said, I don't want this standoffish relationship with you. I want an intimate relationship where I'm able to reveal to you what I'm doing in your life. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you. John 17 is one of my favorite because it was Jesus done talking to the disciples. He's just praying to God. He's like, God, help these people get along. That's literally John 17. He said, God, I pray that they may be one as me and the Father is one. In other words, he said, if I could just get Christians to stop fighting, the world would be a better place. And here it is, Jesus just dropping wisdom in 14, 15, 16, 17. But when you understand the context, it adds different meaning to what he was saying. The context was they were sitting at the table of the Last 
Supper. This wasn't just Jesus dropping wisdom. This was Jesus giving his own eulogy. You see, he understood that about six hours from now, he would be arrested and hung on a tree. Judas had gotten up abruptly and walked out in the middle of the dinner. Nobody knew where he was going, but Jesus knew where he was going. Matter of fact, Jesus said, this may be the last time I get an opportunity to leave a meaningful impression and have a conversation with my disciples. And Jesus said, I want to show them what confidence looks like. I want to show them what authority, what boldness, what power, what courage looks like. So Jesus stands up from the table. He takes off his cloak that would have represented that he was a high rabbi. He took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. And he started washing the feet of his disciple because he was trying to express a true leader is not in leadership for what they can get, but rather what they can give. And it's as he's washing the feet of his disciples that he begins to tell them, hey, y'all, don't let your heart be troubled. They're like, we're not in trouble. No idea. Hours from now. They'd be denying that they ever knew him. They'd be watching their Messiah hang on a cross to die and lock themselves in a room wondering if they killed Jesus, are they coming for me next? And Jesus, knowing what life was getting ready to show them hours away, he said, let your heart not be troubled. Can, can, can I teach you, and, and I know this may sound presumptuous, but, but I'm not even joking, how to build a successful life, how, how, how to build success in your marriage, your parenting, or whatever it may be. Can I do that? If y'all don't say yes, I'm not going to do it. I'll just go to point two. Okay, cool. Just checking, just checking, just checking. Like, I ain't know you really care. Okay. So, and this, trust me, this is not made up. Here's how you build success in any area. You start with this question and this thought. What do I want the end to look like? When you're looking to build a great marriage, don't start with, is he cute? (laughs) Caribbean folks used to say stuff like, handsome, don't put in pot. What does that mean? You, you can't pay the bills with good looks. Like, <laughs> cute is good, but that, that ain't how you build a great marriage. Is she fine? Is she? No, 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 no. Start with, what do we want our 54th wedding anniversary to look like? And if you can start with, what do I want the end to look like? Watch this. Then from there, you can begin to make decisions that will get you to the destination that you want to be at. Anything you want to build in your life, begin with, how should it end? And then back up and make decisions today that will get you to the end that you want. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. I went to college. I have an economics major. So a lot of the examples I use are going to be money and finances and all of that. So let's start with that. How do I get successful at money? Okay, here's how you do it. Start with how you want the end to look. My finish line is I want to get to a place where money no longer tells me what to do. Huh? How about you? I want to get to a place where money does not tell me where I can or cannot vacation. Does not tell me where I can or cannot live. Does not tell me what I can or cannot give. Does not tell me where I have to work. I'm going to work where I want to work and you don't get to tell me what to do. That's where I want to end. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's the end. That ain't the beginning though. 
One of the signs of immaturity, and it's what a lot of boomers are complaining about with their millennial employees and Gen Zers and Gen Xers, some of us who are immature, we want to start and live at the start as if we were already at the end. That, 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 ain't, that ain't how it works. One day, money can't tell you how to live, but today, it's telling you when to brush your teeth, when to wake up, and when... <laughs> There's a starting point that builds to the... So if I want to get to a place where money doesn't tell me what to do in the future, today, I've got to avoid debt. I ain't going to get too many amens on that one. Come on now. If I want to get to a place where money doesn't tell me how to live tomorrow, today, I can't spend all I've got. Come on now. I've got to save some. I've got to learn those words, 401k or 304b, 403b or what. I've got to invest for the future. You see, I'm starting to get some action steps based on my finish line. And in order to invest, in order to avoid debt, I got to have money. Huh? In order to get money, I've got to have a job. See how we're getting some decisions made in life. In order to have a job, I've got to have some type of skills to offer people so they can pay me because that's the only way I'm going to get money and not go to jail. There's other ways to get money, but <laughs> we try and do it without fitting a life. So I need, <laughs> I need a skill so that they can pay me. And in order to get paid, I need a skill. So watch this. If I want to get to a place where money doesn't make my decisions for me at 17 or 18, I got to make a decision. And the decision at 17 or 18 I got to make is I've got to go get me a skill. So I need to go to college. I need to go to trade school. I need to go get me some certificate or some training. I need to pick a career path. I've got to pick something that I'm going to learn so I can offer it to the world so that they can pay me. Do you see how a decision here is based on the finish line that I want to be at? The problem is a lot of us don't make decisions based on our finish line. We make decisions based on the panic of today. And at 17, 18, I'm like, I can't deal with her no more. I can't deal with him no more. I've got to get out. Who will pay me anything so I can get my own place? And we tell ourselves, I'm going to make today's decision based on today's panic. But when I get out of this situation, then I'll start thinking about my goals and dreams. And here's the problem. Today, I need money to pay rent so I get out of my parents' house. But tomorrow, I got a car payment and I got insurance. Now I got kids to feed. And next thing you find out is every new day has a new panic. And you either divorce yourself from panic-driven decision-making or it will control you for the rest of your life. You either say, I'm done making decisions based on the biggest pressure in my life. I'm now going to make decisions based on where I want to go. So watch this. Here's Jesus seeing his disciples getting ready to go through the most panicked situation they could ever face. And he said, how do I calm them down? I know. Let me tell them what the future is going to look like. Let me tell them the finish line that they're heading to. And that finish line will anchor their soul. Can I submit something to you? Then I'll prove it in the next few minutes. If you don't think a lot about heaven, you will always live in anxiety and panic. If heaven does not cross your mind much, the pressures of earth will drown you. 
And the enemy's goal is, I've got to get you consumed in the pressure of today. And Jesus is like, if I could just get you thinking about the finish, you'll have so much more peace in today. Give you three quick thoughts. The first one is this. You got to begin with the end in mind. You must begin with the end in mind. Rhetorical question. You don't have to answer me, but just think about this. How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? Like just think about the last seven days. How much time did you spend thinking about heaven? Just so that you don't feel bad. I didn't spend much time thinking about it all except for writing this message. We, we just don't think a lot about heaven. Maybe you have a loved one that passed away, that their birthday's around now, and you're thinking, I can't wait to see them, or, or somebody passed. But we normally think about heaven when somebody dies. But other than that, it don't cross our mind much. Now, I have seen some of the way you people drive. You should be thinking about heaven a lot more than you do, because you're going to get there before I do, the way y'all act behind that steering wheel. But the reality is, we just don't think a lot about heaven. If I say something, can you not judge me? Now, y'all, y'all, nobody said yes, which means y'all all going to... It's actually judgeable, and, and please don't judge me. And I've been preaching for 12 years as a senior pastor. I've never preached a message about heaven. It's just not something that we think much about. Can, can I mess with you? We think about hell more than we think about heaven. <laughs> Am I right? You said something like, I don't want to go to hell. Never mind. I ain't going to say that. <laughs> no, seriously. I think there's a lot of Christians that you're not a Christian because of how amazing heaven is. You're a Christian because how jacked up hell is. <laughs> And you're like, heaven's cool. I just don't want to go there. So if I could avoid that, now, Jesus, amen. And hear me. The Bible talks about hell. We should think a little bit about hell. The Bible says that hell is a lake of fire. It is a place of eternal punishment and torment. Ain't nobody should want to go there. By the way, just to help your theology out, hell was not created for Christians. Hell wasn't created for humans. The Bible says that hell was created for Satan and his demons. And just to help you out with a little bit more theology, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. Why? How do I send myself to hell? By refusing to allow Jesus to pay the punishment for your sin. Heaven, this may sound ignorant. Heaven and hell is not a faith question. It's an IQ question. Do you want to pay the bill or do you want to let Jesus pay the bill? Uh, I want to pay for my own sins. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> that's literally, that's literally, but here's, we spend so much time thinking about hell or not thinking about eternity at all. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about heaven where God says, if you think about where I'm going and what I'm preparing for you, it will anchor your soul in this moment. My wife and I go out to eat, and, and I mean, we, we've been doing it for 10 years of marriage, and when we were dating, every time we go out to eat, my wife does something that makes the waiter uncomfortable and makes the waiter think that she hates her date. The problem is, last 10 years, I've been her date. So we'll go out to this restaurant, we'll sit down, you know, they come and they ask you what kind of water you want. Do you want water from Fiji, water from Australia, water from Singapore? I'm like, give me the free water, okay, bro? All these different birthplaces of the water, who cares? 
And then after they pour the water, my wife, every single time she'll say this, hey, can I get a dessert menu? And the waiter will look at her like, you just got here. Is the date that miserable? And then he'll look at me or she'll look at me. And I'm like, bro, don't look at me. I didn't do nothing wrong. And, and, then, and then, then they'll think that, you know, they think she ain't been out too many places. <laughs> so then they'll start saying, oh, there's no rush. There's no rush. You, we don't, you, you could take your time. There's no, and, and, and they'll start saying, well, let's bring the appetite. My wife said, no, no, no. I need the dessert menu. Sometimes she explains it. Sometimes she says, I need the dessert menu. <laughs> and the waiter says, I was like, well, why do you want a dessert menu? And here's what my wife says. She said, the dessert that I eat dictates what appetizer and what main course I pick. If I like the desserts, I ain't going to eat much because I got to save some space and some calories for how I'm going in. But if your dessert is trash, then I'm going to go off on the appetizer. So I need to know how this night ends. So I know how to conduct myself in the Told you, you ever been in a restaurant and by the time they bring out the dessert menu, you're stuffed, you're full, you can't eat because you didn't begin with the end in mind. <laughs> Jesus said, if you're going to be effective here on earth, your mind has to be, here's how it's going to end, and that dictates how I live right now. Can we think about heaven just for a moment? I'll move on in a second, but can we think about heaven just for a moment? The Bible says that heaven is so exquisite, so extravagant, so beyond your comprehension that heaven could not figure out what to do with gold because it was so insignificant. There there is so much extravagance in heaven that gold literally has no value. And here's the strike. They said, here's what we'll do. Because we don't need gold, let's just pave the streets with it. Dig up all the cement, dig up all the asphalt, just, just put gold on the streets because that's the Revelation chapter 21, verse 21. It says this about heaven. It says the 12 gates, the entrance in a Zion are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Forget DC with this little marble statues and little stone sculptures. That's peasant work. We got, we got pearls for doors. If you know anything about a pearl, they're not that big. That's why heaven went out of the way to say, we have a pearl so big we could carve it into a gate. It goes on to say this, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Y'all, that ain't 14 karat gold. That ain't the gold that turns green after two showers. It goes on to say, watch this, but I saw no temple in heaven. Y'all, you don't have to go to church in heaven. Don't say amen to that. (laughs) For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Watch this. There ain't no sun in heaven. There ain't no moon. There ain't no candles. There ain't no light switches. There's only the Lamb of God that so exudes light. There is no darkness. This is the place that he has prepared for you. And the best part about heaven is not what's in it, it's who's in it. 
Some of y'all are excited because when I get there, I get to see my mom again. I get to see my dad or an uncle or a spouse or that kid that I beat up in school not realizing we'd be in heaven together. There's going to be some great you reuniting in heaven. But here's the deal. We ain't going to be just excited about the people we're going to reunite with because we're going to be in the presence of God. Not like visiting, not like the little goosebumps you get at Catalyst, but an unbroken fellowship with God. Now, some of y'all, y'all, y'all just ratchet. You're like, oh, this sounds boring. Let <laughs> me sing songs in heaven all day with God. Like, God, oh, we might as well have all the fun I can have down here because you can't really cut up when God's around now, can you? Can't talk about people's mama when God's around, can you? So I just got to say all the ignorant stuff. I bet God don't watch TikTok videos, so I got to do everything I can do now because heaven's going to be one snooze fest. It's because you don't know who God is. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's what the Bible is saying. You've never laughed until you've laughed in God's presence. You ever had one of them laughs where your ribs hurt? Like, like you actually, I got to do some sit-ups, man. I can't be laughing like that. The Bible says you're going to have such a smile on your face. There's going to be such a laugh in your belly constantly in God because of the joy that exudes from his. It says in his presence, there is fullness of pleasure. One of the reasons why we work so hard, we go to jobs and all that, is because we want to enjoy the pleasures of life. I I, want to see palm trees and clear water and white sand. And God said, there is not a pleasure here on earth that can compare to the level of pleasure that you're going to have in God's presence. There is no pleasure in sin or in holiness here on earth that can compare to the pleasure of being in God's presence. Sometimes pastors say stuff to get them canceled. I'm not one of those pastors, so I never said this. But I heard another pastor say, there ain't no high like the most high. It did not come from me. I never said that whatsoever. (laughs) Not me. It was the other guy. But anyway, there ain't even sinful pleasures on earth that can compare to the joy that you will have in God's presence. Not only will you get to be in his presence, but watch this. You're never going to cry another tear of sorrow, of pain, of anguish. There is no sickness. There is no heartbreak. Revelation 21, 4 says this, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes that there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for those things have passed away. Come on now. The Bible says not only in heaven is there going to be God and no sickness, but every single person is going to get a brand new body in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, it says this, But I am telling you this strange and wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall all be given new bodies. It will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when the last trumpet is blown for there will be a trumpet blast from the sky and all the Christians who have died will suddenly become alive with their new bodies that, watch this, will never, never die. And then we who are still alive shall suddenly have new bodies to listen. I may be a short, skinny preacher here on earth, but in heaven, I'm 6'4", 240 of steel. It's not that funny, y'all. If I were to be real ignorant, I would say some of y'all are paying doctors to cut and nip and tuck, try and get your heavenly body here on earth. You don't got to pay for it. It comes for free. 
Watch it. <laughs> Let me just move on. Let me go. <laughs> the Bible says that's what our finish line is like. You know the biggest difference that is supposed to be from a believer to an unbeliever? A believer is supposed to have this picture that this earth is temporary. This is not my finish line. This is not what I'm living for. There's a reward on the other end. Former President Jimmy Carter just turned 99 years old. Y'all, that's old as dirt. That's a long, that's older than dirt. That's a long time. It's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. An unbeliever's perspective, even good people who are unbelievers, they have this perspective of YOLO. This is all I get. I got to make the most of this one life. There's no more enjoyment. There's no more pleasure. I lose my life in the moment. I own it. I never get something about that. Anyway, <laughs> the heartbreaking thing is a lot of believers live YOLO. We've lost vision of heaven. So we panic in the moment like they panic in the moment. We act like this house will be our last house. We act like that rejection will define me because we've lost perspective of what God said will anchor your peace. And that is that he's gone before me and prepared a place for me. Second thing is this, write this down. We've got to make future investments our obsession. You've heard me say before, and you're tired of me saying it, but I don't care. I went to the University of Maryland College Park, the greatest school on planet Earth. Fear the turtle. It's a turtle. It's a terrible, terrifying turtle. <laughs> Graduated in 08 at, at 21, and, and I've discovered you have certain moments in life that grow you up instantaneously. Maturity doesn't happen gradually. It happens in moments. Come on. Any guys in the room like me got your driver's license suspended because you didn't pay your parking tickets or you're speeding, and you grew up in a moment? <laughs> you're like, I got to get my life together. Anybody ever got their water cut off? Not because you, you not because you were broke, but just because you didn't pay attention to the bill? Am I the only one? Oh, Doug, this is awkward. Okay. I'm a little immature, y'all. You know, they send me a little white paper. I'm like, I ain't going to pay this one. Then they sell a yellow one. And I'm like, oh, this looks serious. I ain't going to pay this one. And then they send the pink one. And I'm like, oh, they mean it for real. And then you turn your water on. It don't come on. And that's when you're like, oh, gosh. Anyway, I had one. Don't judge me. I had one of those moments where, like, I grew up in a second. I just graduated college. I was applying for different jobs. I actually got different job offers. And hear me, after you get the job offer, you don't accept, you negotiate. Here, I'm helping you out. Never take the first offer. If, if you were at Catalyst on Friday, you know the rules that the world plays by don't apply to me because I'm a child of the most high. So, what's the most high salary y'all are willing to give? It's my inheritance. <laughs> so I'm kind of going through the process where I'm negotiating salaries with different companies. And you know, you get one and you pit it against the other and all that. So I go to one company and they said, well, our salary is based on a scale. And for recent graduates and new applicants, we base their incoming salary based on their GPA. Your grade point average. When I heard that, my heart sunk. Because I didn't really have a GPA. I had a GP. 
was missing a digit. <laughs> Some of y'all graduated summa cum laude. I graduated thank you laude. I, <laughs> hand me that degree before they check my resume. Let me get out of here. <laughs> I was too busy praying to study. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and when they told me what the cutoff for the next salary range, by the way, it was a $10,000 bump from one range to the next. Y'all, I missed the cutoff by 0.1. It still hurts. <laughs> And when I realized I missed a $10,000 pay bump by 0.1 on my GPA. What was your GPA, Pastor? Mind your business. <laughs> I be, first of all, I got really mad at that teacher that wouldn't curve me up. I mean, you could have curved that 77 in a 91. That ain't that much of a curve. It's just a little bump. <laughs> so first I got tired and mad at the teacher. Then I got mad at you smart people that got 98s when the rest of us got 77s messing up the curve. Golly. But then I began to think, imagine if I had spent one more hour on that assignment and I had turned that 87 into an 89. I began to think, what if I had gone to the library instead of that intramural basketball game that was not going to get me closer to graduate? And I began to look past the last years of college. And if someone had just told me my performance in school would result in my income, so we all like to learn just to learn. That's dumb. I only learn so people can pay me to learn. So if they had told me freshman year, your income will be dictated based on how you do English 101, I'd have shown up. But by the time you need to be ready, it's too late to get ready. A lot of people don't realize this. Your experience in heaven is not based on Jesus. It's based on you. Now, whether you get into heaven is based on whether you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, a prayer doesn't get you in. Being a Christian doesn't mean you pray to prayer. Being a Christian means you've made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and allow him to make the decisions for you. And since we're on the topic, the word repentance doesn't mean to feel bad. Just because I feel bad doesn't mean I repented. Repentance literally means to turn in the opposite direction than I've been going and ahead in a different direction. The prayer is just an expression of a decision in my heart. Somebody say amen. amen. Whether I get into heaven is based on Jesus. My experience in heaven is based on how I live here on earth. A lot of people don't know this. What we do here on earth will be determining what happens up there. Some of us, we're going to get into heaven, the Bible says, by the skin of our teeth. Like they closing the door and you just like. <laughs> y'all look like y'all were waiting for me. <laughs> we in, but you know, the Bible says in my father's house, there are many mansions. It didn't say every mansion is the same size. There's going to be some massive mansions, and there's going to be some huts. <laughs> and it didn't, say not, it didn't say where your mansion is going to be. Some of y'all going to have mansions in Zion, like in the city limit. Some of y'all going to be right outside the gate. <laughs> some of y'all going to have to Uber to Zion and be like, hey, y'all, there's a party in Zion. You coming? Hold on. Let me check the flights. 
how we live here on earth dictates our experience in heaven. Somebody shout back at me. Somebody say, prove it. I love when y'all say that. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. We all must appear before Christ in court. Awkward. So that each person can be paid back for the things that were done while in the body, whether good or bad. It's not just in or out. It's once you're in... You're going to be in court, y'all, like Judge Judy style. (laughs) And your mama can't be a character witness. He was a good boy. You should know. I don't want to hear all that. Can I give you some of the questions you're going to be asked on that court case? First one is going to be, what did you do with my son Jesus? And everybody's going to get it right because you go to union. Amen. Amen. You know, the second question is going to be, did you fulfill your assignment on earth? I remember one time I actually decided to work hard in school, and uh, we got this paper assigned, and I'm like, I'm going to start early. I ain't going to wait till the last minute. Like, like I'm actually going to write this thing, not quote a couple of sources just to make sure it has the word count, and I proofread it, had some friends proofread it. Like, like this paper was amazing, and I don't know how y'all do college today. Maybe y'all email your papers in. Back in the day, you had to carry that paper and drop it on it. You know you got a good paper when you show up early to class. I'm never early to class, y'all. I walked in there. You would have thought I was playing dominoes. I go up to that desk. I'm like, bam! Read that. So proud of my paper. Two weeks later, I get my paper back. I couldn't wait to see it. On the top, circled in red, F. I said, first of all, your mama. Second of all, (laughs) the teacher wrote a note across the top of the paper. Said this was an amazing paper. Wrong assignment. Y'all, I wrote a great paper on the wrong topic. And the teacher said, I didn't ask you to write a paper. I asked you to respond to this topic. Some of us, Jesus is going to say, did you fulfill your assignment here on earth? And you're going to say, well, I got three degrees. I hit a million dollar net worth. I gave this much money to the poor. and I had this many employees and I saw all the seven wonders of the world. And he's going to say, wrong assignment. That's not what I placed you on earth. You never even asked me why I put you there. This life is not about making something of yourself. It's about God. Why did you put me in this city, in this time in history? What is it that you've called me to do? Acts chapter 26 verse 19 says this. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You see, when I've got a perspective of heaven, I'm not asking, is this the spouse for me? Is this the job for me? Is this the city for me? I'm asking God, is this the spouse you have for me to fulfill my purpose here on earth? Is this the city you want me to be to fulfill my purpose here on earth? Everything is in light of who he's called us to be. Got to rush through this. Here's some other questions he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you, how'd you treat people? The Bible says this, that Jesus is going to say, hey, thanks for the cup of cold water. Thank you for clothing me when I was naked. Thank you for visiting me in prison. And we're going to say, Jesus, we never even saw you. What are you talking about? And he's going to say, when you did it for the least of these, you've done it unto me. 
I, I, I was coming out of Dunkin' Donuts on Friday with donuts in my hand because Friday's my cheat day. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, and sometimes Saturday. But anyway, <laughs> I was coming out of Dunkin' Donuts, and this gentleman that looked like, I don't know his story, but he looked like he had nowhere to live. He was uncapped, and I was kind of walking. We were crossing paths, and he said, good morning. And I responded to him. I said, good morning. He said, you're the first person that's spoken to me today. He said, people act like the way that I look. I'm not allowed to speak to anybody. I'm like, man, that's heartbreaking. Good morning. Now, can I just come for your life? Some of us are nicer to strangers than we are to our spouse. We'll say good morning to some random person that we don't know, but I ain't saying good morning to you because I'm still mad about what you said last night. So, And we don't realize how I treat people is going to show up in heaven. The level of holiness that I live here on earth will dictate the life I have in heaven. The Bible says without holiness, it is impossible to please God. And here's the last one. How we suffer here on earth will dictate our reward in heaven. All of us try to live these easy lives. Easy lives don't turn into eternal reward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says this, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Here's the key word, falsely. Y'all, it got to be false, okay? If they talk trash about you and they tell the truth, you'll get no heavenly reward. <laughs> if they say you a liar and you a liar, there's no reward for that. <laughs> no, if they trash you falsely because of your stance in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We live in a version and fashion of Christianity that's trying to fit in with everybody in the world, and I don't want to say anything that offends people, and I don't want to mess with your pronouns, and I don't want to mess with this and mess with that, not understanding that the gospel is an offense to those who are blinded to the things of God. The fact that I've got a standard, the fact that I've got morals, the fact that there is right and there is wrong, it's just offensive to people who don't know Jesus. And if I'm trying to avoid offending people, I'm going to end up offending heaven. Come on now, last thing is just write this down. We've got to learn to leverage the temporary for the eternal. Cord. Come on, man. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. That's how you know the message is over. Kind of. So every time I write a message, I struggle because I ask myself a question about every message, and that is, does this pass the who cares test? The last thing I want to do is preach a message that you're just like, thanks. That helped me nothing. I know more about giants, angels, and Nephilims, but you ain't help me with my taxes. <laughs> and I've wrestled with, you know, a lot of people don't think a lot about marriage. So if I preach, I mean, a lot about heaven. So if I preach a message about heaven, are they going to stare at me like, this is cute, but this ain't got nothing to do with where I am right now. Then I came across this passage in John 14, and the Holy Spirit said, Stephen, how much you think about heaven dictates the peace you have here on earth. And if you don't think about heaven, you will not have peace here on earth because earth will feel like it is so overwhelming, you're drowning. Here it is, Jesus looking at his disciples, knowing what they were going to go through. 
And here's the comfort that he offered them. Hey, y'all, don't forget I've gone before you. I've prepared a place for you. It's going to blow your mind. And I come, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to get you. And when Jesus was saying, don't let your heart be troubled, he wasn't just saying, I'm about to be arrested and executed. He was talking. Judas had already left, so there was only 11. He was talking to 11 men who he knew 10 of them would be murdered for their faith. And one would be banished to slavery for life because he refused to denounce Christ. They take Peter and they said, Peter, either say Jesus was not the Messiah or we're going to crucify you. Peter said, that's cool. Can you do me a favor? Can you crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to die the way that my Messiah died. They took one of the disciples to the top of God's temple, a hundred feet in the air, and said, hey, we need you to deny Christ or we're going to throw you down. He said, do what you got to do. I'm not living for this life. There's a reward on the other side. They threw him off, and as stories go and history goes, he did not die from the fall, so they beat him and stoned him to death after the fall. And here's what Jesus knew, that if they don't have a perspective of eternity, they're going to quit when it gets hard. They're going to throw away their faith when it matters the most. They're going to tap out when they've accomplished their personal goal. Here's how heaven affects my reality. If I don't have a perspective of heaven, hear me, I will always quit too soon. I'll quit on the marriage too soon. I'll quit on building wealth too soon. I'll quit on loving my neighbor or impacting my community or building that bit because here's what we quit when it's hard. We quit when it's difficult or we quit when we're exhausted or we quit when we accomplish our goals. And some of us look at the people around us and we're like, well, I make more money than them. I've got more influence than them. I've accomplished more than my parents accomplished. So I'm good. I can sit back and put my feet up. I've done my and not knowing you may have done more than anybody else in your family, but you've only tapped into maybe 20% of what God placed on the inside of you. Paul said, you, you, you compare yourself by yourself. But when I've got a perspective of heaven of no, 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 I'm not trying to hit a certain net worth. I'm not trying to be better than this person or that person. I'm trying to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, I did everything you put me on this earth to do. I rang life dry for every ounce that you placed. When my perspective is heaven, my motivation here on earth is different. Paul said, my dear brothers, I am still not able as I should, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting my success, forgetting my money, forgetting my degrees, forgetting my past. I look forward to what lies ahead. He said, I strain to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because what Christ Jesus did for us. The greatest motivation here on earth is to realize that this is not all there is to life. And I'm going to have to account for how I live this life. So I'm going to wring everything out of it that Jesus put in it. So when I stand in front of eternity, my head's going to be up and my shoulders are going to be back. And I'm going to hear, well done, 
thy good and faithful servant. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that there is not one person under the sound of my voice that's a mistake. There's not one per per person that doesn't have purpose, doesn't have destiny, doesn't have impact on their lives. And because of your blood, our past mistakes can't keep us from future impact. God, I pray that you'd put eternity in our hearts in this moment. Just where you're sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe some of us are exhausted, we're overwhelmed, we're, man, it's chaotic, and God is saying, lock your eyes on heaven, because he who began this good work in you, he's going to see it through to completion. Maybe there's some of you in the room that, if you'd be honest, you're not quite sure how you would answer that first question in heaven, and that is, what did you do with my son Jesus? Because in your heart of hearts, you know that you haven't wrestled with where you're going to do with Jesus yet. Maybe, maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and maybe you even prayed a prayer. But you know in your heart of hearts that you have not given him control of your life. Or maybe you did at a season and somehow life just got overwhelming and you just got off track. Well, this is your moment. Wherever you find yourself, if you say, Pastor, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Ready to turn from doing things my own way and letting him dictate my steps. That's you. This is your moment. We're getting ready to pray a prayer, but hear me. The prayer doesn't save you. It's the posture of your heart. The prayer is simply expressing a decision that you've made that I want to belong to Jesus. If that's where you are, can you pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, today I belong to you. Thank you for dying on the cross so I don't have to. Thank you for shedding your blood to pay the price for my sin, for my mistakes. In this moment, I surrender. I give you all of me. I turn from sin. I turn to Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person? The Bible says that heaven throws a party over one that gives their life to Christ. Hear me, there are dozens and dozens of people that heaven is part. One more time, can you celebrate as if people just made the greatest decision ever?